Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, July 27th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. Joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? So we haven't recorded an episode in a week because uh, Comic-Con had – it wasn't Comic-Con in San Diego. It was Comic-Con at home. It was online. Everybody was busy covering panels on YouTube and IGN and all that uh, jazz. Um, I wanted to hear from you guys because you guys were in the trenches covering this thing. Uh, how was Comic-Con this year? Eh, eh. <laughs> I guess my whole thing is there, there are two – prongs to comic-con as an experience as, an, as a fun experience uh one you're in the room with sometimes with hundreds of thousands of people see something very cool uh and two you're in that room where spontaneous weird crazy things can happen uh so when a panel pops up on youtube and it's been pre-recorded not even being live streamed and he's like oh this is 45 minutes long i could skim through this if i wanted to um i know nothing in here is going to be spontaneous or unique or fun or crazy and they're under no obligation to share anything special because why would they bury it in a, in a Comic Con at home video when it's on, when there's no buzz be drawn from that? They can just drop on YouTube and get more buzz. So most of Comic Con at home was watching people talk over each other on Zoom. I was really disappointed by a lot of it, to be honest. But uh, Ben, how did you feel? Uh, on a personal level, I would call it an outright disaster. I think they. You know, again, personally, I feel like they should have just canceled it. And because there weren't any major movies, like huge movies that people really care about represented, except for maybe like what New Mutants. And that is like, you know, questionable to the number of people actually care about that. But yeah, right. Um, So just, you know, from a a sheer uh, uh, pop culture perspective and and a personal perspective of the stuff that I'm interested in, I would say that it was an out and out disaster. I will say that watching some of those Zoom conversations that you're talking about, Jacob, and I fully agree that that's basically all this was, was just people 
talking at each other on Zoom. I will say some of them were like vaguely entertaining. Like I watched the, I covered the uh, panel for Hoops, which is this new animated series coming to Netflix. And Max Greenfield uh, moderated a panel um, that had Jake Johnson on it because he's the, the Jake Johnson is the, the star of Hoops and those two work together on New Girl. So basically the panel was just them and like Rob Riggle and a bunch of comedians just sort of like making jokes the whole time. And it was like, oh, this is like a, a pleasant diversion from, you know, the horrors of real life. But that's about, that's the bar for this year's Comic-Con for me. It was just like, it, it did nothing special at all. And and I thought it was largely a huge waste of time. But, uh, but you know, there were a couple little moments where I, I uh, chuckled a little bit. So there you go. Yeah, the one panel I had a good time with was the last chunk of the Star Trek panel where it switched to Picard. Uh, because after two panels uh, for Discovery and Lower Decks, where not much was announced or revealed, at least the Picard panel had uh, had Patrick Stewart and all the young members, cast members from Picard, but joined by um, Jonathan Frakes and, um, and Marina Sirtis, who are also on the show, but were also his Next Generation co-stars, and ended up being no news whatsoever came out of the panel. Uh, nothing was announced, but the panel ultimately came down to all the young actors like, talking about being intimidated by Patrick Stewart and how wow they were to work with a legend and then frakes and Sirtis just dunking on patrick stewart constantly about how he's old how <laughs> all the young kids need to learn not to like beef him up and give him the power and it ended up being really really funny just because all like his old friends who, who've known him for 30 or 40 years were just there to like deflate him constantly and it was and he was clearly enjoying the roasting it was a really really fun panel but uh but like like i said no news we came down to write that section for my article i was like well at least the other sections had maybe had some news like i had to set a right this panel was fun because marina sirtis called patrick stewart an old man and jonathan frakes uh, shook his head constantly whenever people complimented him and I, so that was my article was pretty much that it's like just go watch that section of the panel it's really funny but um no news no news yeah there was like really nothing huge to come out of comic-con which is kind of crazy because i i mean i guess bill and ted that is going vod what is that at the same time as it's going theatrical or something yeah, but they announced they dropped the trailer and announced that like before comic-con even started so it's like what's the point it, it's weird that no movies took this as an opportunity to be like we're gonna make a big impact in this like online event because it, it it just feels like for years people are like if people if, if they put these panels online if they put the you know the footage online comic-con would not exist like people have been arguing that for years now and like they did it and i get i i get it it's not the the real comic-con it's not the one <laughs> whatever but uh it just feel it felt completely flat for me and I get it. I get it. You're not in San Diego. You're not in that Hall H. And there is an energy in that room that when like new footage or some surprise hits, it creates this shockwave of a buzz, which, yes, you can argue how much that that buzz relates to box office dollars. But it, it really does create like this energy online, at least like on Twitter and stuff. And I, I did not feel that from this Comic-Con at home. So I don't know. I, I, I hope uh, next Next year, we're all back in San Diego. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, when you have a bad Comic-Con at home panel, you just, like, go pet your cat um, and just be sad. When you have a bad Comic-Con on a panel in San Diego, it's like, oh, I'm going to get a fucking burrito. Excuse uh, me. You know, the only good thing about the, all the panels being pre-recorded was there was no bad questions. Like, you know, the, the, the people lining up to ask, like, the horrible questions that you're, like, squirming in your in, in the small seat that you're, like, already uncomfortable in all age. Like, crammed between, you know, 
the two people. Oh, but Peter, I would take those horrible, memorable moments over Chris Hardwick asking the most boring question of the Walking Dead cast for three hours. So, yeah. Okay, let's get into the news. Let's talk about some news that broke last week and today. Actually, let's talk about something that broke today because I think last podcast that we had, we talked about the possibility of tenant. Uh, opening overseas before it opened in the United States. And it looks like today they that that has come to be. That's come to to happen. Jacob, what do we know? Yeah, it's we added an update uh, to a last week's story. It essentially confirms that, yes, it's true. Uh, Tenant said a new release date for international territories. It's going to open in Canada, France, Germany, Italy, and the UK on August 26, 2020. Then in select U.S. cities on September 2nd, 2020. It's not clear what select cities those will be uh, because, you know, a lot of cities are still in lockdown right now. Uh, but it's, you know, Hollywood seems to wind is blowing, which is the rest of the world is handling the COVID-19 crisis better than we are and reacting accordingly. So one of the biggest films of the year is going to open everywhere else before it comes here. Uh, and you know what? Part, part of me is like, oh, man, I'm disappointed. I want to see Tenet first. But also I'm like, we don't deserve Tenet. Let, let them have it. They earned it. They worked hard. <laughs> We don't, we don't we don't deserve nice things right now. I, I guess my big question here is: This a smart move? I know, like Chris Nolan has been pushing. He wants this movie to come out. He wants the theatrical experience, like people to enjoy the theatrical experience for that not to die. Like I, I guess that's his motivation and kind of like pushing Warner Brothers' hand here. But on the other hand, he's pushing Warner Brothers' hand, and it's going to come out internationally a week before it comes out domestically, and probably in some cities like New York and L.A. Maybe it it comes out even weeks later, who knows? So is that going to just cause a, a massive strike of piracy? I feel like a lot of people in the U S aren't going to want to wait the week and be spoiled from all like the international online conversation. What, what do you think the, what do you think could that massively hurt the film's box office? Yeah, absolutely. It's not just like a piracy thing. I think that, even in the rest of the world, people aren't ready to go back to the movies. People in the United States aren't ready to go back to the movies, you know, a week after the rest of the world gets it even. Yeah. It's the, the number of people who have willingly, happily gone and saw Tenet a few, you know, six months ago, half of them are, are warily worried about leaving the house to go to get groceries. It is the smart thing to do is to push this till next summer uh, at the maybe or even November if you want to get like, you know, play even a little less safe. But, you know. Warner Brothers or Christopher Nolan or whatever's happening in that whole conversation. We've been hearing you know multiple every time I write anything about Christopher Nolan, somebody yells at us um, through an email. So I just I don't want to say anything untoward right now. But the, the smart thing to do would be just just to delay it indefinitely, push it into next summer, and say we're going to sit on this until people are ready. And I feel like pushing it internationally first. It's not going to make the money it, it needs to make. It's not. It's never going to be the right time in the year twenty twenty to release a film this big, this wide. Ben, what do you think here? Yeah, I was I was going to say basically the same thing that you just said. I I, I kind of feel like 2020 is a wash. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I feel bad for. <laughs> I mean, it's so stupid to say I feel bad for for Warner Brothers, this massive, uh, you know, multi, whatever uh, international conglomerate. But like, you know, they, they there's no way they could have known anything about this, and like the the idea of them having this huge uh, asset on their hands, but not being able to do anything with it has got to be eating away at them. So like on one hand, I understand like, Hey, you know, maybe we could make something instead of making nothing on this right now. Um, and maybe they have enough, you know, uh, other movies in the pipeline and, and things backed up where, 
they're comfortable with like, okay, 2021, we can put out this other stuff instead. But um, yeah, Jacob, I mean, if <laughs> knowing, you know, from the outside looking in, it certainly seems like um, just pushing it back the next year would be the move, but maybe they're in a financial place where they, they have to make some money back right now. And, and this is their only option or something. I don't know. I really think it's Chris Nolan pushing Warner Brothers, but I, I just don't think this is going to result in what he wants. I don't think people are going to be able to go to theaters, and I think this is domestically going to hurt the film because there's going to be a lot of piracy. I, I feel like even very honest people who normally would never download a movie are going to be tempted by this one. Like this I guess is the gonna, question real quick, though, Peter, is do you think that – because you know, I think – for people who listen to this podcast and, and read slashfilm.com, I think maybe there could be an, a, an uptick in piracy from those people, but but uh, let's call them regular viewers, <laughs> like like general audiences, right? Like those people, you know, my parents or, or whoever, people who would have gone to see Tenet otherwise in a, in a normal environment are yeah. not going to go out of their way to pirate this movie, right? Like, you don't think they will, or do you think they will because there have been so many news articles and, and so much made of this movie because of the way that Warner Brothers has handled this so far that now there's actually, like, this bizarre potential negative scenario for WB because they made such a big deal about this being the first movie back. Now that it won't be in the U.S., maybe more people will will pirate it? What do you think? I don't know. It, it, it's a tough question, Ben, because I will say in, in social media has made this a lot harder for me. Like we're now all in this film Twitter bubble. And most of the people that are on my stream of not only Twitter, but also Facebook are kind of like film fans in you know, some I want to say obsessive way, but like more than I think the average general like your parents, mm-hmm. I would say. Right. So like I, I'm not sure I have the pulse on like people like your parents and if they <laughs> their morals <laughs> would be challenged by a Christopher Nolan film but i feel like most of the people that i'm seeing inside my bubble might be pushed like yeah i don't even think it's a morality thing i think it's just like a, a people who don't you know who have never pirated anything before yeah. um and and like there's a huge uh uh obstacle there to overcome like figuring out the technology of how to do something like that i just think i think a lot of people are going to pirate it but i think comparatively it's going to be a pretty small number in the grand Mm. scheme of things so i don't know i guess that's what jacob and i were talking about where it just sort of to us anyway it makes sense to just push the movie a year but um clearly warner brothers knows something that we don't hear so i I don't want to feel like we're sitting here scolding them for making the wrong decision (laughs) because there are so many factors that we have no friggin' clue about yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, another movie we've been talking about a lot about was Mulan. That was supposed to come out right around the same time that Tenet was supposed to come out in theaters. And now that film has been delayed? Yeah, Mulan has been delayed indefinitely. Um, so that that's a movie that, you know, as we've been talking about, uh, was made almost specifically with the Chinese audiences in mind because the Mulan was a, a very you know famous Chinese folktale and, and stuff like that. And, and this movie um, was a big... Uh, you know, this big live action uh, retelling of the animated classic was was geared more with Chinese audiences in mind specifically. So for Disney to be able to drop this movie on Disney Plus or something just does not make sense. It's also like over $200 million. So it's another big movie. And uh, this studio has done what we were suggesting Warner Brothers did and basically just said, you know what, we're just going to hold this for a while and figure out what we're going to do later. Um, but Disney actually... Re- uh, 
basically shuffled up its release calendar for with a ton of movies and, and delayed a bunch of stuff. So guys, guess what? I, I know you're not going to believe this, but the Avatar <laughs> sequels have been delayed. So I know it's an unheard of thing. Wait, uh, how many times has that happened now? Like um, at, at least four, right? I, I don't think she says in her story here, but hmm, let me see, man. I mean, I, I know that at one point <laughs> they were talking about like, I think 2012 was one of the, the releases. Yeah. Um, and so now it's going to be pushed back to what 2022, I think, um, is this the second movie. So, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's just, uh, I, I feel bad laughing at the Avatar movies because it's become like such an easy thing to do. Um, but yeah, the the pandemic has has basically uh, caused them to, you know, a lot of us saw this coming. Um, I think there was a sliver of a chance that they were going to be able to actually make their their date this time. But, you know, in the face of a global pandemic, there was no way they're going to be able to do that. So uh, the Star Wars movies have all been bumped back a year. So that's another big blow. Um, Ridley Scott's The Last Duel, which was supposed to come out on Christmas of this year, um, is the movie that stars uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and uh, Adam Driver. That movie is now going to be bumped all the way back to October of next year. So you can go to the article. Um, we'll link it in the show notes and, and check out all of the the uh, date shifts there. But Disney is basically just saying, all right, uh, 2020, we're just going to we're going to skip you. Yeah. So when is the earliest that we're going to see a new Star Wars movie at this point? Uh, let's see. I think, well, it's been delayed a year. I'm trying to think of when the last okay uh 2023 so december 2022 uh, december 22nd 2023 is the next star wars movie that actually has a date uh scheduled from Disney. so it's going to be three and a half years before we see star wars again on the big screen which it, it sounds stupid it, it sounds ridiculous that i'm even like being like oh my god wow that's because like we went so many years without a star wars movie on the big screen but we went uh, we, you know the last few years have been filled with one star wars movie every year so i don't know it just seems very crazy to me that it's going to be you know three and a half years before we get another star wars movie i guess uh the near-term future of star wars is gonna be on disney plus Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, another thing I want to talk about, this is something that happened over the weekend, is El Capitan Theater in Hollywood. This is owned by Disney. They they reopened for concessions. Jacob, tell us about it. Oh, Peter, 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 Peter. Uh, this was a very strange thing to read about because uh, why would you buy overpriced theater concessions from, <laughs> from a theater <laughs> that's not showing movies? But the El Capitan Theater... You know, the very famous restored movie palace, Hollywood Boulevard, owned by Disney, as you said, is selling these, what's selling these big concession to go bundles. Give you an idea of this. Bundle number one for $5, one 64 ounce popcorn, one drink of your choice, $5 for a popcorn and, and a drink, which in a movie theater is a price you're willing to pay when you're at home or out and about or getting, getting snacks for, you know, doing anything else five dollars for popcorn and a drink is freaking highway <laughs> robbery it is obscene and their other bundles go from nine dollars up to forty dollars individual things available as well and like the like i get it like movie theaters need this money when you have people in the theater to uh 
pay the rent, like literally because studios take a chunk of the of the box office gross. That's how it works. It's a business that, that ebbs and flows in that way. And I think most people in a theater are willing to say, yep, I will pay a little bit extra for my popcorn, for my soda, for my candy, because I understand where this money is going, how it supports the theater and the people who are working here. It's something that I will, I will bite that bullet and I will do it. But Peter, why would you do this? I, maybe, I know Al Capitan <laughs> needs money, but why would you pay $40 for like $18 worth of candy and soda. Why? Who would do this, Peter? Who? Tell me who. Well, Jacob, over the weekend, I went to the El Cap. No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like Peter would actually be one no, of the people who would no. do this because it's a Disney thing and your your love for Disney goes so deep. It goes oh. all the way to the bone that you would actually pay you know exorbitant prices just for like Disney branded <laughs> snacks at the El Cap. No, no way. Uh, but let me paint a, picture, a better picture of this. First of all, the El Capitan Theater is owned by Disney. It's like this famous theater. It's connected to where, what, Jimmy Kimmel? does his uh broadcasts mm-hmm. and it's across the street from hollywood highland in the doby theater where they have the academy awards every year so it's in this very touristy part of hollywood boulevard there is no parking anywhere you got to park in the hollywood highland complex so if you want this soda and popcorn not only are you gonna have to pay way more than you would you know just making it yourself at home but you gotta like park across the street at the hollywood highland complex which Ben knows he's been there for premieres and press screenings and stuff. It, it's not a fun time parking in there. And then it's, it's overpriced parking. Yeah. So then you got to do that and go across the street, get the popcorn, come back, uh, uh, go to your house. It's cold popcorn. Like, I don't know. I don't see. Why would anybody do this? I don't. But <sighs> if it wouldn't even convince me, <laughs> I don't see. I don't know. Like, it, it just doesn't seem like a good idea to me. Yeah, I think that's right. I think you are the actual barometer for this. If you wouldn't do it, then I can't imagine anybody doing it, Peter. <laughs> you know, maybe if it came with like a limited edition screen printed poster or something or something, like there was like some kind of reason to do it. But I don't know. I I mean, I want to support movie theaters, right? Like I like a few weeks ago, I bought some stamps because I heard the USPS is, you know, in trouble. So like, you know, I'm, I'm all for like giving some money to a worthy cause and i love going to the movie theater but i don't know this does not seem like the right way of doing this yeah i know you guys are hard up for content these days on uh, ordinary adventures since the theme parks are closed <laughs> and stuff but if if you guys don't even go and and buy this for uh for a, a youtube video man i have no idea what this is for <laughs> yeah we didn't even uh we didn't even go to a drive-in so I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, um, okay, we have we have a lot more stories to get to. Let's get to quick. Uh, Back to the Future is coming on 4K. Tell us about that, Ben. Yeah. So the 35th anniversary of Back to the Future is coming up in October, uh, or this year anyway. Um, right before October 21st, which is Back to the Future Day, on October 20th, the Universal Pictures is going to be releasing the entire Back to the Future trilogy on 4K Ultra HD for the first time. And uh, the interesting thing here is that instead of just repackaging a lot of the bonus features that have been uh, released with, you know, Blu-ray sets and, and DVDs and stuff that have come out before, uh, this new trilogy set is going to have that stuff. And it's also going to have uh, an hour's worth of new bonus content, which includes 
uh, Bob Gale, the co-writer and producer of the movie, giving a tour of the movie's props and memorabilia and stuff like that. There's a sneak peek at the new Back to the Future musical that is based on the movie. And then there's an episode of the uh, popular YouTube series, Could You Survive the Movies, that is based on uh, or, or sort of centered around the Back to the Future uh, trilogy that is going to be included there. But the most interesting piece of bonus content is uh, rare audition footage from people like Ben Stiller, Kira Sedgwick, John Cryer, Billy Zane, Peter DeLuise, and C. Thomas Howell, which I don't think has been really seen before. I did a, a Google search for Ben Stiller Back to the Future audition footage and could not find any of it. So I'm not sure. Peter, you're like the Back to the Future guru. You know everything about this movie. Have you ever seen that footage no. before? No, this is this is all like I think recently found stuff or stuff that they're unlocking for the first time. Like, so I'm excited to see some of this like audition footage, especially like Ben Stiller. What is that going to look like? Did he audition uh, for Marty or like one of the the friend, you know, Biff's guys or something? Like, I, I wonder. If, yeah, I, I'm very curious about that. You know, I actually don't even remember. I remember hearing the Ben Stiller audition, but I don't remember what role that was. It must be Marty, right? Wait, but would he be of that age? I guess he would, right? Of like Michael J. Fox's age? I guess so. Yeah. It's sort of same thing for John Cryer. He was sort of like in that John Hughes, uh, you know, pretty in pink era. So I guess yeah. I guess it makes sense for him to be playing Marty. Yeah, and there's also some exclusives that are coming if you buy the movie at different retailers like Target where there's like this uh, floating hoverboard. So uh, I don't know, like, you know, I've been out of physical media for so long, guys. I don't think I've bought a Blu-ray or DVD in years. I I can't think of the last time I've bought a Blu-ray or DVD. I know you guys are all in. You still have shelves full of physical media, but this might be it. This might be the last time I buy a thing because I'm going to have to see that and that it's probably not going to be available on the digital copy. So I'm going to have to buy this disc and this might be my last purchase of physical media <laughs> in terms of movies. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, okay. Let's, let's talk quickly about the stand uh, with last week. They were promoting new mutants. You got to talk to the director. He's involved in the stand and you learned a little bit about how they're approaching the Stephen King adaptation. Tell us about it, Jacob. Yeah, I was on the phone with Josh Boone, the director of uh, The New Mutants, and we spent most of our time talking about that movie, of course, but at the end, I talked about Stand, which is, uh, originally was to be a film series, possibly a film trilogy, I believe at Warner Brothers, but then he ended up bringing the project to CBS, where it became a 10-episode miniseries for CBS All Access. Uh, this is a project he's been working on since 2014, long time coming. So I asked them, you know, first I asked them, is this the best or worst time to make it a stand since it deals with a pandemic that wipes out most of the human population? Uh, but then uh, after that, I talked, I talked about Tone, and he, um, I'm going to just read his quote here. We thought about uh, Close Encounters and the way those Spielberg movies felt in the 1970s and crazy Oliver Stone movies in the 90s, kind of merging those things to tell this dark, epic fantasy. I think it'd be really cool. The main thing we have going for us, the original, didn't, original meaning the original um, TV miniseries adaptation from the 90s, the original didn't have going for it uh, that we can really do at a really high level in terms of the R-rated content and things like that just weren't possible then. So he's saying Steven Spielberg meets Oliver Stone uh, full R rating across 10 hours on CBS All Access. Uh, which I think a lot of us are happy to hear because it's really weird because I think people hear CBS All Access and immediately assume, oh, CBS, clean, sanitized, um, you know, the most generic, middled-out television imaginable, but... CBS All Access, you know, does not have the restrictions that other uh, networks do. They've 
like you can we could do hbo level material there if you chose to and it sounds like at least in terms of content the stand <laughs> is going to embrace that freedom uh and really go for what is a really nasty, violent story. Uh, so we, sanitizing it would really do a disservice. But I think that Spielberg meets Oliver Stone is actually a really interesting uh, approach because nothing says King, Stephen King, more than, you know, warm, nostalgia, and wonder sliding into cocaine-driven insanity. <laughs> uh, <laughs> ben, have you read The Stand? Uh, I'm curious, where you, have you, are you familiar with this at all? I bought the book, but I have not read it yet. It's sitting on my shelf, um, and I'm, I'm. It's a little daunting right now. That it's a pretty big book, um, and I'm, I'm just sort of waiting for the right time. And really, I was planning on reading it, and then I, uh, obviously, this whole pandemic thing happened, and I was like, you know what? Maybe this is not the best time to read this book right now. And I think Chris was talking about how he was starting to reread it right around that same time that, <laughs> that like, you know, everybody was going into lockdown earlier this year. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm just going to hold off maybe until the world becomes a little bit more of a better place before I uh, crack that book open. Yeah. I, I've never read the book, but I watched the miniseries from the late 80s, early 90s, whenever that came out. I guess it's early 90s. And I was not impressed by that. So I'm hoping this will be better than, than that one. Yeah, that miniseries from the 90s, uh, it really sands down all the stories of Rough Edges because it was you know airing on network TV in the early 90s. It is not representative of representation of the book. It doesn't feel the right way. It's not as gruesome as scary as heartfelt as big uh like it, it the, the book's big for a reason it's it's a it's an epic it is a you know massive massive story so i really hope that um what josh boone teases here comes to fruition and that we get a 10-hour version of the stand that's worthy of the material uh also in the same interview we talked about why he did not make revival the Stephen king book that mike flanagan is now adapting so uh follow the show notes to find for that uh far less interesting story <laughs> to be honest <laughs> Okay, let's talk about Edgar Wright. He's attached to make a horror movie, a ghost movie. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah, it's not really a, a horror movie, but it is a ghost story. It's He's uh, attached to develop, executive produce, and direct a film called Stage 13, which is an adaptation of one of the short stories from a writer, Simon Rich. Um, the short story was actually in a, uh, a short story collection that I read called Hits and Misses. Uh, I talked about it on a recent episode of The Water Cooler. And uh, Stage 13 centers on this young, aspiring uh uh, director who is basically like picked out of obscurity. He, he's directed like a couple little commercials here and there, but nothing big. And he's hired to direct what he thinks is this massive movie on a major film studios backlot. And then when he gets there, he realizes that he has to sign this huge NDA contract. And the only reason he was actually given this chance in the first place is because the soundstage is haunted and the studio head is trying to get rid of this ghost who is haunting the stage. And the ghost is an, an aspiring actress who still, even though she's dead, still desperately wants to be a movie star. So it, it's a really fun little short story. I've actually linked to the whole thing. You can read the whole thing uh, in, in the, the show notes that I've linked to it there so um I, I, my only thing here is that uh it is very short so i'm not really sure how else you build out this world like what other little details you can add to this story to build it out into full um you know, feature length, but Simon Rich, who wrote the original uh, short story, and he's the guy behind uh, Man Seeking Woman, that FXX comedy. He's also worked on uh, Miracle Workers, the TBS show. Um, he's really, you know, one of, uh, he, he's like a, a 
primetime comedy writer, like really, really great stuff. He, he worked for Saturday Night Live as like one of the youngest writers ever hired to on that show. So he's um, a big deal in the comedy world. And he is actually writing the screenplay uh, of his own, uh, you know, based on his own short story. So I'm excited to see what what this uh, collaboration yields here, because I'm I'm a big fan of the source material. I'm obviously a big fan of Edgar Wright. And this sounds like sort of a, a return to a little bit more of the comedic uh, comedic material that Wright was sort of known for before he has stepped away from, you know, straight comedies in recent years with stuff like Baby Driver and then uh, Last Night in Soho, which is coming up. That's his more like straight horror movie, like a psychological sort of horror story that's uh, it's been delayed until next year. I mean, I, I love movies about movie making, so I'm all in. Uh, th- this is only just one of a bunch of projects that Edgar Wright recently put up on his uh, slate of future productions, right? Yeah, he has this kidnapping thriller called The Chain that's coming out. That sound that's based on a novel that sounds really interesting. It's about this uh, this mom who uh, her daughter is kidnapped and and she's basically forced to kidnap another child um, in, in order to <laughs> save her daughter. And then that that chain just continues that way. It's He's a also, great book. That's a, I know Chris not talking on the water cooler, but holy crap, it's so outside of Edgar Wright's wheelhouse. I'm excited to see what he does with that. Holy crap! Yeah, yeah. man, that sounds really great. And then he's also set to direct uh, a movie called Set My heart to five which is about a robot who discovers when he's watching an old classic movie that he begins crying and so he realizes that he has emotions and he starts to write he wants to write a screenplay that can change the world so that sounds kind of like a, a cool <laughs> idea too but definitely not really um you know the the sort of like i said like straight comedy kind of uh, you know uh, uh hot fuzz Shaun of the dead um you know, comedic stuff, genre yeah. stuff that, that Edgar Wright sort of built his his career on. So I'm, I'm excited to see, uh, yeah, watch as his uh, career continues to evolve. Yeah, it still has a connection of like, you know, movies and the love of filmmaking. It's, it's kind of fun. It's almost like Wally. Because mm-hmm. Wally did didn't he kind of like discover love by watching yeah, I think Hello so. Dolly? On I think t- you yeah. could say that, yeah. On the iPad uh, or the iPad iPod. It was something. I forget what it was back in the day. <laughs> uh, okay, let's get to We have two more stories to talk about today. One of them is this Reddit horror story that is being picked up by the team behind Stranger Things and James Wand. Uh, Jacob, what do we know about this? Yeah, I'm familiar with the uh, subreddit uh, No Sleep. It's where a lot of people write their own, you know, homegrown horror stories. And it's sometimes they're terrible. Sometimes they're really great. Uh, I've I'm not there all the time, but I'll occasionally pop up right here recommendation, and you find some like real gems there. And Netflix has paid seven figures for a very large six-part story published on No Sleep, uh, written by Matt Query. Uh, this is Netflix teaming up with Sean Levy and Dan Cohen, producers of Stranger Things, and James Wan's Atomic Monster Company to make this. This is like like a massive team of people teaming up for a story written on Reddit. So if you're a horror writer, maybe start polishing some stuff for a Reddit publication, but um, it was written by Matt. Queer. I, 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 I was going to say like, like I feel like five, 10 years ago, it was like comic books. You need a comic book yeah. to make a, a movie adaptation. So then all these studios like legendary were creating their own comic book lines that they could create a, you know, comic book that would hopefully get gained steam so that, you know, 
they they could get the money to make the movie. Now now you don't even need that. Now you just like post the thing on Reddit. Yeah, and it's written by Matt Query, and it's one of those cases where the story itself, you know, it has some rough edges. It's clearly something that was written by one person and published onto a web forum. It doesn't have the, the polish you'd expect from a um, you know published novel, or published short story. Uh, but I read the first part of it last night uh, shortly after reading this news had happened, and guys, it's really spooky. Like I was like shivering throughout parts of it. It is about a a uh, retired soldier, a recently um, college graduated. Sorry, let me start that over. A Marine who's left the service, graduated from college, and buys a ranch in the wilderness of America by a mountain with his wife. And they learn from their neighbor that um, this place is beautiful and lovely and great, except that there is a ancient spirit that lives in the mountains that will test the people who live by um, in different ways throughout the year. And if you respond accordingly um, to the rituals, you are fine. If you do not, bad, bad things will start to happen to you. And I don't want to say any more than that because, like, learning – the various rituals and what he's told to do uh, were so odd and so different from the usual horror tropes that I was like, oh, this is really unsettling because it feels different. Uh, so even though the, the uh, idea of, you know, white people versus undefined Native American spirit is a very tired, odd trope, uh, there's enough stuff here that I found genuinely spooky, at least in the first chapter. I'm looking forward to reading the rest. Uh, Matt Query's brother, Harrison Query, is actually going to write the screenplay. Uh, Harrison Query has a uh, history of Netflix. He sold a pitch called Three Musketeers to Netflix already, so there's a connection there. Uh, but yeah, um, I'm excited to see where this goes because the last time a like major Reddit Hollywood connection happened was a long time ago where somebody on Reddit asked a question of who would win a, a single modern uh, U.S. Army um, regiment versus the entire Roman Legion uh, who would win in like a straight up fight and a actual historian started like writing an extremely complex series of posts about the military tactics both would have to go through to, to um uh win the fight and someone bought his posts as a movie pitch and asked him to write a screenplay about a, ta- a military <laughs> divi- military division sent back in time who ended up fighting fighting the roman legion and um if nothing ever came of it i was very curious to see what, what came of that but um so i'm curious if this is the next big thing if um following the failure of that if this is a project that comes to fruition and is good. Maybe they'll start mining Reddit's um, various, you know, short story forums looking for ideas. Who knows? That's so crazy. So crazy. We live in crazy times. Um, okay. We have one last story for today and that is universal studios last week announced that Halloween Horror Nights is canceled. Jacob, what do we know? Uh, yeah, Halloween Horror Nights was going to celebrate its 30th anniversary this year. This is the event where universal studios in Hollywood and Orlando, uh, both once the sun goes down, transform into like, Halloween themed um, like adventures. Like there's various haunted houses, some original, some themed the movies. There are scare zones full of like actors carrying chainsaws and like jumping at you. There's new food, there's entertainment. I have never been uh, because I don't live in Florida or California. I never made the trip, but it's my tradition to like dive into a YouTube hole every year watching all the Hollywood Horror Night stuff. And as I've discussed this podcast before, I'm a big haunted house fan. Every year I do like tours of as many haunted houses as I can in Texas. And as someone who's already concerned about the industry with COVID, because you really can't run a haunted house with people in close cramped corners with actors. This is feels like the first step in the haunt industry taking a massive, massive blow this year. But Peter, you, you go to Halloween Horror House nights on a regular because you're near uh, Universal Studios Hollywood. Uh, yeah. How well, last year I got to go to Orlando, which is like bigger and better and amazing. And by the way, some year you need to get, 
get your butt to Orlando to, to experience that because I think you would love it. it. Halloween Horror Nights is, you know, I'm not like the biggest horror fan. I'm not like you and Chris who, you know, seeks out the latest horror movies. I like horror movies, but like I wouldn't like, can I wouldn't define my my cinema taste as like, you know, I'm a huge horror fan. But for some reason, I love these events. They're like, it's so much fun, but it's also very hard to do. And, you know, the time of a pandemic because it's it's often these mazes where the you're cramming a lot of people together in a line going through this haunted house i know you know i've i've been following this because you know i'm closely keeping an eye on the theme park industry especially you know i have ordinary adventures going on and we were planning on going to orlando and covering this and covering it in in hollywood and in hollywood they had built mazes like they they had built mazes on the back lot we saw like drone footage in in uh orlando they also had built mazes they were i think a week and a half ago hiring scare actors or something they were they put a call out for scare actors so this is like a last minute decision i think they were you know doing what they could under the assumption like if we can make it happen we'll have everything ready but uh, they, they even in, in Orlando, they have like their own, you know, Halloween Horror Nights is such a huge thing there that they have this huge like multi-room store called the Tribute Store. We did a tour of that last year on the site for Ordinary Adventures. I'll link that in the show notes. And it's incredible. It's like a themed store. And they literally built this last week. And the, the the day that it was supposed to open, bloggers had shown up, like lined up in line to like go into the store uh, this news broke <laughs> that Halloween Horror Nights had been canceled after 30 years. Uh, this was, you know, and this was also supposed to be the 30th year. It was supposed to be a huge celebration. Um, so I'm wondering if uh, if all their plans for this year is going to come back next year. I guess like 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 any, you know, good horror movie, you know, you, you, it, it's not dead. It's going to rise from the grave next year. Hopefully bigger and better than ever. And uh, hopefully we'll get to see it then. But uh, Jacob, do you think next year is going to be like safe enough to do this kind of thing? I hope so. I mean, it seems really silly because there are so many things more important, you know, to <laughs> the world large and haunted houses. But the people who run haunted houses are, they do this because they love it. You know, they, they do this industry because it's something they deeply care about and enjoy and are passionate about. And it's, it's not an industry you enter expecting to become a millionaire. You enter this industry because you freaking love building and operating haunted houses. And they're seasonal. You know, they make their money, you know, for two months of the year, September, October, maybe a few weeks in November if the ones run longer. But if Universal, a company, a multi-billion dollar company, can't find a way to do this safely, there's no way the mom and pop operations, like the small businesses that I go to regularly every year, I don't know how they weather this. I, I since some of them may not open again next year, Universal's going to be fine. Um this news for me is bodes so poorly for everyone Universal's else. Universal's going to be fine, but this is this is a huge boon to the Orlando economy. Like this is like a big thing. Like, I can't express to you. This goes on for I think almost two months or something, and you know it employs a lot of people. It brings a lot of people to not only the theme parks but to the hotels to City Walk. It's like a huge. It's, it's going to devastate them in a major way. I, I mean, they're universal. They're going to be fine. But it, it, it's, I don't know, it, it, is Halloween canceled this year, Jacob? Yeah, I imagine there will be social distancing restrictions for trick-or-treating. I, 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 my wife hype about this. Are we going to like sit on our porch like we do every year, but put the candy, you know, 
10 feet away from us, you know, down our front steps so that like kids go take one, you know, because I would hate, you know, for especially kids for, for, for whom Halloween is, you know, a fundamental important thing. It's just, um, like, I, I, I hate the thought of canceling it, but I also feel like unless every single person does what I just said and put their candy, you know, 10 feet down the driveway, don't do it. Just cancel if but- you need to, but I'll be, I would hate to see it. I was having this conversation this weekend with some friends and I I was like, oh, but I guess you could just put the candy in a dish outside your place and just, you know, hope that people are uh, nice enough to take one. But then someone said, no, but like then they're going to be touching stuff that other people are going to be touching. So you can't leave a bowl of wrapped candy because right. Or I guess people would just have to disinfect it. I don't know. It's it's so complicated. I don't know. I just put a big bottle of hand sanitizer next to the bowl and say hand sanitizer free take. I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, <laughs> I, I guess that brings us to the end of today's slash on daily. Uh, Jacob, it was great having you on this podcast. I know you're not often on here because you're you know managing things behind the scenes and you, you don't write a lot of the stories. But we need to get you on here more often because I, I really enjoyed this chat. Yeah, Peter, if you ask me to be on the podcast for stuff, even for episodes where I didn't write anything, I'll happily jump on the yeah. show. And if you liked me, you should email Peter and take <laughs> and with the head, headline, I like Jacob in all, in, all, in all caps, I like Jacob. Please have him on the show more often than the body, yeah. you know, say whatever you want. But the headline must say that. So Peter sees it popping up repeatedly in his inbox. <laughs> Uh, you know, someone on Twitter threatened to buy me the the joke book, the the <laughs> the, the book of insults, the Grandchildren book of insult, offense, and affrontery yeah. by our best friend Louis A. Safian. Yeah, I was like, please, no, no, don't. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyways, you can find more from from all the stories we mentioned on today's podcast linked in the show notes in on slash home.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. I hate to say this, but you can send me your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to uh, to me at peter at uh, I'm going to have to create a filter, Jacob, to just <laughs> auto-delete anything with that headline. But, I mean, if you, you want to, you can. Uh, and please, rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we will see you on Wednesday. I promise this time. We'll, we'll be back on Wednesday. We're back into the, the groove of things. See you then.